Thunderbrunt. Blockbusters, the show that treats the final edit of a movie like the script. We're going to introduce ourselves, starting with Jamie. What? <laughs> Twist. That's right. That's right. I'm, not... I'm going to say who's starting. The you guys always are like, there's like that pause of, wait, who goes? I haven't turned the teleprompter on yet. <laughs> okay. I am Jamie Nash. I am a screenwriter and the writer of Save the Cat Rights for TV. By the way, I'll plug it right now. In case you're listening, <laughs> I, have, I have a webinar coming up in January. Sign up now and you can learn all about how to write for TV. It's a three-day webinar. It'll be taped if you miss a day. You can watch it whenever you want. But anyway, that's in January. Check and it out. And they can Go find to... you on Twitter where? They can find me on Twitter at Jamie underscore Nash. But for that webinar, you can also go to savethecat.com. That's it. On go. to Jimmy. <laughs> I am Jimmy George. I don't have anything to plug, but I am a screenwriter and script consultant, and you can find me on Twitter at Jimmy R. George. And I am Bob Rose. I also don't have anything to plug. That's so sexual sounding. Um, <laughs> uh, I am at Thundergrunt Bob on Twitter and Instagram. And today we are going to talk about a very relevant and non-relevant movie aren't we guys mm -hmm. uh we're gonna talk about spider-man 2 the first spider-man 2 not the second <laughs> spider-man 2 or the third spider-man 2 the first spider-man 2 2004 i'm gonna have oh, to gosh. clarify that on the profile i know <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> there's three spider-man 2s soon to be four spider-man 2s because of that's across right. the universe across the spider -verse. that's that's right yeah <laughs> Um, uh, before we get into the nitty gritty of Spider-Man 2, 1, <laughs> the first Spider-Man 2, uh, let's all go around and say our experience with this movie, our, our, uh, cause obviously, I mean, 2004, sadly, is a really long time ago now. <laughs> so this is kind of a classic now. So let's, uh, go around the table and, uh, Jamie, you want to go feel. first? Yeah, sure. So for me, uh, especially around this time, Raimi was like my big hero. So I was a huge Dark Man guy, which, by the way, these movies have a lot of tastes of Dark Man in them. Mm -hmm. that, when I watched the bank scene, I even thought of, uh, uh, gosh, why can't I think of the, what's, what's his recent, the horror movie uh, that I love? Drag Me to uh, Hell. Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, I thought yeah. of the bank. When I saw the bank, I was like, oh, this reminds me of the bank from Drag Me to Hell. Um, but anyway, I was, Raimi, especially around this time, was like, the guy for me i would watch anything he made over and over and over again and i thought spider-man was really good but it wasn't like next level elevated but spider-man 2 was that next level elevated where it felt like they just let him do what he wanted to an extent and go crazy with it it felt very much like a raimi movie i also grew up spider-man was my favorite superhero as a kid growing up I had all kinds of toys. I watched the cartoon, you know, he was the guy, he was the guy I collected the comic books. So anyway, to make a long story short, 
This is definitely, I'd have to think about, I didn't think about it, I should have thought about it before the show, but this is definitely, if not my favorite superhero movie, it's probably in my top three, but I can't even think of what the other three might be right now. So uh, we'll say it's my <laughs> that favorite. That means it's probably number one, Gene. <laughs> it probably is. Like, like I'm trying to think uh, of which ones it could possibly be, and, and nothing's really coming to mind. I mean, that would Ninja be Turtles, one. obviously. Ninja Turtles, for sure. <laughs> Ninja, Ninja Turtles and Green Lantern. Right. Uh, and then this. <laughs> All right, Jimmy. Um, it's weird. Like, for how, how much I love this movie, I don't really have much to say other than, like, it's definitely my favorite comic book superhero movie. And uh, I didn't grow up reading comics. So for me, I don't have some, you know, uh, love for the for the source material the way others might. But uh, it's definitely I definitely think it's my favorite uh, superhero movie. And I, one thing I was struck by and we'll go into it as we talk about, like the techniques and stuff is how many quiet moments there are. Um, this is a very like it's. For, for all the great action that's in this movie, there's a lot of time on screen where it's just Peter Parker, like, hanging out. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, very different than how things would be treated now. Like, I, I, I don't think that the movie would ever be made this way now. Um, just the attention, attention spans. Like, I'd really love to hear, like, what my... Uh, 15 year old nephew thinks would think of spider-man too if he saw it you, you, know, you know, um, you know you know what's funny though is when i watch this what really struck me that i really hadn't thought of before was how similar it was to the current marvel universe like there, there's something tonally yes like, it's fun it's the funny, comedy it's, is it's i mean it's, it's, it's yeah it's yeah this, you know more more so than probably anything before it or even maybe even like bent Ben Affleck Daredevil or something that mm -hmm. came after it. Um, right. It really felt like Stay tuned uh, you know, for that episode coming yeah. soon. <laughs> yeah. Right right after Green Lantern. Right after uh, <laughs> we'll do it both in the same episode. It, it it felt like it almost could exist in that Marvel universe with yeah. the colors and the style and the stuff like that. But I do yeah. agree. Funny you say that, you. Jamie, because it might exist. No, no, really. But yeah, so I love the movie. I think it's my favorite superhero movie, but I don't really have much else to say other than that. Okay. Um, I'll say this. I generally agree with Roger Ebert. I think it's maybe the best superhero movie ever made. But I want to say this. Like, when I say that, I don't, I'm not like Jamie. I'm not a Spider-Man guy. I don't really like mm. Spider-Man that much. <laughs> I'm a Superman guy. I was, I'm, you know, I'd like, I never, Spider-Man isn't my thing. So the fact that I would say that shows you how much I like this movie. I also think I'm more of a Sam Raimi fan than I am a mm -hmm. Spider-Man fan. And I just love Sam Raimi make going full bore. And that's what he did with this. Um, yeah. Like I, and I also feel like I didn't know a movie could be this fun when it came out. And I didn't know that Sam Raimi would be given reins like this. So for me, this was like exciting on like a fivefold level when it came out. I didn't even like the first Spider-Man that much when it was originally released. I liked the first oh, wow. Spider-Man, but I, I, was like, I, I was like, I was like, it's good. fine. It's fine. Competent. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's fine, but it, it didn't feel like anything special. It, it it felt almost like a proof of concept that Spider-Man was a viable thing that could happen, as yeah. opposed to like 
the next level of like, let's hit this thing out. If it, well, honestly, it felt like Raimi had his hands a little bit tied behind his back. I mean, yeah. this is a very interesting franchise because they had he had it a little bit tied in the beginning, but he pulled it through. Then he was totally let loose, and then they tied him up again. And they, yep. mm-hmm. You know, it was it's yeah. a very odd franchise. But yeah, uh, I'm not a Spider-Man guy. I know Spider-Man people in my life that hate this trilogy. Oh they, wow! They hate Toby. They hate mm-hmm. Raimi's yeah. movies. I can uh, see not, that aspect of it. It is you know just vehemently not their Spider-Man at all, yeah. and that's fine. I'm not you know whatever. But since I I think that we're divorced from that, so all yeah. of us see it in a different way. Like it doesn't matter that Peter Parker isn't the one that we have in our heads. So it doesn't right. matter. You know what I mean? Yeah, that holds zero weight with how I right. respond to the movie. So, but I yeah. can see what you're saying. I, even even me as a kid that grew up with Spider Man, I always viewed Spider Man as this kind of comedian, running commentary, snarky guy, which probably Holland does a little better than anybody else in, in the group. I'm try, I can't remember Andrew well, Garfield's stuff as much. He's great too. Um, I mean, he was a great Spider Man. Movies aside, he was a great Spider Man. But I think with Spider Verse. And no spoilers, no way home. We can agree that a lot of versions of a lot of characters are fine. You know what I mean? So, like, this is not some people's Spider-Man. I don't care because the movie's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I've made this argument. I've had, you know, I had much more juvenile uh, arguments with friends. Uh, We're just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about toby and everything i'm like okay well in this universe this is what he's like <laughs> yeah. this is what spider-man is like toby isn't exactly a jokester right? no he's, he's an odd he's an odd guy he's, he's an, an odd, odd guy, guy he's a very guessed. doughy-eyed uh he's very he's a thinking man spider-man sort of you know he cut he comes off a little aloof and kind of out of touch or i don't know what it is like he's high or something he's kind of surprised all the time he's like <laughs> he's always surprised that's he's always surprised is. yeah he's <laughs> always just like is this happening that's, still that's, yeah. yeah, which I kind of like that there's an I, I do too. I, I kind of enjoy it, yeah. especially it's, now, years later. He's it got took this, me a little while to get used to, but I, he, I like it. Uh, I've heard it before. He's got doe-eyed innocence in these movies, you know, and I, I think I enjoy that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, now that we've gotten our uh, unabashed love out of the picture, let's talk about the writing. The craft. And, and, and the craft. Jamie, <laughs> yes. who wrote this shit bingo <laughs> stanley wrote this yeah um, well he, he was responsible I... in story by and with ditko and so, you know sure the, the yeah, old school yeah. but so this movie apparently was greenlit like immediately after spider-man mm. one, they greenlit this thing and they hired a bunch of writers to do drafts in 2002 uh, I can't think of, I don't know how to pronounce what else is new. The guy, if it's Alfred Go or Goff, I'm going to say Goff. I think it's Goff. I'm pretty sure I think it's, it's Goff, Goff too. It's these, spelled these, like Doe, but it, it's pronounced Goff. The reason I know it's, I think it's Goff and it's uh, Miles Millar is because they're the Millar. Smallville guys. And I remember okay. their names that's being right. pronounced. That is, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so they were hired to write a draft. Um then Michael Shibon, Shibon was hired to re- rewrite their draft. And then ultimately, Raimi came in and picked from their drafts and then worked with Alvin Sargent to do his own draft, like for the final film. And he was the one that heavily wanted to go with the, there's a, there's a storyline called Spider-Man No More. So when you see him throw the costume in the trash can, that's like a classic painting, you know, from a from one of the issues, a panel. Gotcha. From one of the, 
the Spider-Man no more, where where Peter Parker quits being Spider-Man and you know he says, I'm Spider-Man no more in a very Stanley sort of way. Yeah. Um so uh Raimi came in with Sergeant pick, you know, kind of a la carte the different drafts. Okay. And then that, that became Spider-Man two as wow. we know it. Cool. Okay. Yes. So so did all those people get credit that you discuss discussed who just, got cherry picked on, from? On IMDB it's just, yeah. yeah, it's everybody's yeah. It's everybody they, they got there. they got so all of them got screen story. Uh okay. I guess is screenplay in this in this regard. Uh Stanley and Ditko get comic book. Okay. R- Raimi doesn't get a credit, but you know, he he was the director. I'm sure he's shaping all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Funny is those the Golf and Miller, they really haven't they've really done mostly television mm-hmm. and they did mm-hmm. the third mummy movie. <laughs> <laughs> And this that's and great Shanghai, and the Shanghai noon franchise. Oh, okay. That's kind of their yeah, they haven't they haven't done as much as I would have guessed, I guess is what I'm saying. Not nothing wrong with that. I that's mean, I mean, that's a, I wish I had that resume. Right, so. right. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> it's cause they keep going to um uh what's his name? A go as opposed to Gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they he keeps getting they keep calling the wrong guy. And it's like, no, <laughs> you're not oh, I didn't know. Oh, and Michael Chabin, he did uh, John Carter. I guess maybe that. Oh man, that kind of maybe put a black mark on him for a bit, even though I like that movie. I love that movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's not. <laughs> well, I remember when... named it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and didn't and now I now I can't remember, but didn't he work on the original Spider-Man, the first Spider-Man movie um, as well? I feel like that's true. Um, it's not because I remember. IDB. I for some reason I thought they made a big deal. Now I got to look it up. <laughs> um. My memory is no. It says David Cap. Uh, so my memory was it was a big deal when they brought Michael Chabon to Spider Man. Like here's a guy from you know a literary guy. It was kind of like one of those things. Like back in my early screenwriter days, I saw the writing on the wall. I was like, I was a guy who was writing superhero movies, and I was like, oh, they don't want to bring me into these movies. They want to bring that guy into these movies, mm. and and that's kind of that that kind of was my first taste of that early on you know and then but now we see that all the time that they bring people from other genres to write these superhero mm. movies and a lot of times it's not the comic book guys it's not the smallville guys so superman 2 at least had or superman 2 spider-man 2 at least had some uh we could do superman 2 at some point jamie if you want i'm, I'm down <laughs> i might that's probably up there in my favorite yeah uh, same uh, same uh okay uh well let's move on guys that's right my transitions are always shaky um <laughs> by the way just super quick this movie yeah. made like close to 800 million dollars worldwide at the box office it was a not big- including wow. inflation not including inflation so, so 2002 a made bona fide blockbuster yes 2004 yes, right 2004 yes, 2004. yes. it was written i'm sorry it was written in 2002 so that's why yeah. i'm which was right when Spider-Man. I actually didn't know it made that much money. Like eight hundred million in two thousand four without inflation. That's nuts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know Holy it was that shit. successful. <laughs> Holy crap. What did Spider Man <laughs> three make? Um every- <laughs> No, I think Spider Man three made a ton of money. It might have even made more money uh than I remember yeah. it had a huge blockbuster opening weekend. So strangely enough, Spider Man three made a ton of money. I mean, it, you know, it had a trailer for it, which was Spider-Man 2. 
so everyone showed up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, let's talk about lower global stakes, big personal ones. Yeah, I have no idea what I don't you're know talking who this about. This is. <laughs> this, is this? <laughs> this is a Jamie. Jamie note. Oh, it's a Jamie one. Okay. Bob, uh, Bob, why don't you take that one? All right. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah. So here's the thing with this, and this is kind of a structure thing, really. And we'll talk about structure in a in a little bit. This is a really hard movie to pin down on structure, which we'll again we'll talk about it in a second. And. Uh, I, I think what's going on here, the, the other thing I remember, and a lot of this is hearsay, so our our listeners can probably correct us on some of these points, but I remember hearing even about James Cameron's Spider-Man development, which happened in the 90s, and there's a, there's a scriptman out there you can read, and it gets a little weird. I remember the big thing that was rumored was that the Spider-Man movie wasn't going to have a lot of Spider-Man in it. It was going to be about Peter Parker. It should be called Peter Parker, the movie. And the thing I got in Spider-Man 2, I think that's kind of what it's trying to do in a weird sort of way. I think it's trying to be the Peter Parker movie. And I think it's succeeding. I don't mean it's trying and failing. But then I also think Sam is such an entertaining presence. He knows he has to put those whammo moments in there. Mm -hmm. right? So he gives you the six-minute pizza scene at the beginning. You know, yeah. and then he's like... I'm going to give you this crazy sequence in the beginning and you're going to have it. And then he's like, then I'll give you some, you know, Doc Ock stuff. And then I'll give you some, uh, the bank scene and stuff like that. You know, and he keeps, he knows he has to give you a whammo every 10 minutes. So he's not like what was rumored to be the James Cameron thing, by the way, the James Cameron thing, I don't think is like that if you read it, but that's just how it kind of came across. Um, but the rumor there was, it was going to be like Peter Parker to the last, 10 minutes or something yeah like like unbreakable with uh bruce yeah. willis where he doesn't yeah. become or like uh, casino royale where he's james bond at the end type of thing yeah, yeah, so, yeah. something like that uh, but but it was more interested in peter parker and i think that is one of the things that's interesting about spider-man in general is spider-man almost is sometimes more interesting when it's peter parker yeah mm -hmm. it is that that world is sometimes more interesting and i think in this movie and we'll get to it a little bit when we get to the structure I think the Peter Parker story is the A story. And this Doc Ock thing, he barely cares about it. just keeps interrupting every few minutes. It's weird in yeah. that way, yeah. yeah. It's just this loose thread that kind of comes. It would almost be like a rom-com where the, where the relationship is the important part. Mm -hmm. And then like maybe their job or whatever, that B story comes in every now and then. You know, it's very it's much like a workplace drama. Is that why we like it so much? Is because the A story is the character story. It's I, not I, the plot. It's. Not, I think it's you know... a. I think it's a character driven movie, where there's Spider Man things going on in the background <laughs> to an extent, but at least the villain part of it. The villain part. Um, Spider Man's the whole thing, but uh, the Doc Ock thing is kind of going on in the background. Yeah, it's so weird in that way. And like you said, we'll touch on it structure wise in a, in a little while. But like how the normally when you're watching one of these superhero movies that has a MacGuffin, the tritium, um, the MacGuffin is the, the primary focus of the whole narrative. Right. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, and here it's just sort of like we get like three little moments sprinkled throughout with doc ock's plan to use the tritium and they have it has its own little mini story right but it's just that but it's mechanical it doesn't yeah, yeah it's just it's there. it's sort of ancillary to the drama yeah. 
And um, so, you know, usually we save like, what did you learn um, from this or something? When I was when I did the rewatch for this, the one thing I'm not sure that I learned it, but the one thing it highlighted for me, I think if you're writing, this, this is going to be a bold take. This will be my hot take. But I think if you're right, if you're writing a superhero movie on spec, I think this is the better model to look at. I think you're better off as a new writer coming at something with this, because we've seen the superhero movies, you know, we know what they are. I think you're better off coming at it in this character driven story that just so happens to be a superhero movie that keeps interrupting. <laughs> I, I almost think I almost think this would make a more interesting, maybe not this movie, but this approach would make a more interesting spec screenplay than the movie that is a thrill a minute and it's very plot driven and very much has those kind of villains and, and things that we've already seen. Instead, to kind of come at it from this character driven, personal sort of way might actually be instructive to writers who want to write this kind of genre. Mm. That's I like my, it. That's my yeah, weird. I hot like take. that a lot. I like it, Jamie. Yeah, you could that's... probably accuse a few Marvel movies of being the 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 A story being the plot and not the character. I mean, that's most it. Marvel movies. Yeah, most, most. Marvel, and movies that's okay. Are... That's that well, yeah, people, yeah, it's I'm working. People it. love it. Yeah, that, yeah, that's okay. My 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 and my reason I'm saying this is because I think they have that covered. They got that. Yeah. How we could how we can differentiate ourselves is maybe by shifting it and doing what this movie does and saying. You know, what would it be like? What would Superman and Lois Lane's home life be like almost? You know, that's and write that movie. Superman stuff happens, but we're taking a look at it from a more personal um, direction, maybe a more heartfelt direction and maybe just a different angle that maybe Hollywood's scared to do because they need a whammo every five minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I have the sequence approach at, later on in in the yep. on the talking points. Yep. Uh, but you're making me think that. A, so let's skip down to it and go back, okay? Because okay. sure. I, yeah, think, it's go good, I think it's go a good it. explanation. So save me a transition. I saved you a transition because <laughs> I think this is a good time to talk about it, Jamie. The way yeah, you're, the way you're yeah. articulating this is very, very instructive. No, I really like um, it. of why the movie feels so different uh, and stands out from other superhero movies, at least from the three of us. Yeah. Um, so when you're when you're coming up with your movie and you you have that white page and you're like how the hell do I uh where do I start one easy way to to do this is uh come up with eight mini movies that all tie together to the overall story conflict and all those movies have their own like goal reward stakes obstacles and ticking clock and um you write out eight mini movies and all of a sudden you you can kind of compartmentalize these 10 minute increments and all of a sudden you have uh the building blocks for the whole script um so this one jamie and bob um i labeled each of the sequences uh with spider-man in mind but now okay. that you're saying it jamie i think it makes more sense if you label it as peter parker like Sequence one, Spider-Man delivers a pizza. Actually, it's what if Peter Parker has to deliver a pizza? Um, the second sequence is Spider-Man tries to go to see a play. Really, it's what if Peter is just trying to see a play and all the, you know, the trials and tribulations of trying to just be Peter 
and go see a play, but you have to, you have to stop and be Spider-Man. You know, each of these sequences, if you rephrase it like that. So the next sequence is, is uh, Birth of a Monster. It's Doc Ogg. It's basically the creation of Doc Ogg. The lab demonstration gone wrong and then the surgery gone wrong. And then the fourth is Doc, Doc Ock runs amok in NYC. But really, that's also that sequence is focused on Peter, right? He's just mm-hmm. trying to go to the yeah. bank and help his aunt get a loan. But he can't even just do these mundane. Oh. Basically, every... go ahead, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll get to this part, too. But all the things you're labeling are also the things he needs fixing, right? He's right, trying to yeah. fix each one of them almost in order. His school, his relationship, his aunt's money. These are all the things that are set up and the things that are need fixing. And they're the sequences. He's doing them almost one by one by one by one until he kind of joins them all together toward the end. And they're um, all, when you say them out loud, they're really mundane things, right? It's like, really mundane things. I mean, here's, Doc here's Ock- time- I was going to say Doc Ock literally says that he that Peter has a representation rep, reputation for being lazy. That's yeah. a Peter thing. <laughs> That's one of the things he needs fixing, right? Or they view it as that because I, yeah, I don't think he's lazy. I think no, he, he's he, not lazy. Yeah, but, but I'm saying he's perceived as lazy because right, he can't ever each be of these anywhere. Avenues, that's a, that's yeah. a Peter problem, he's, not he's a trying, Spider-Man problem. Yeah, yeah he's right. trying yeah. to do too much, so he can't do anything. It's our typical. It's a problem I have every day. You know, it, <laughs> I want to say too, like what you guys are bringing up right now. It, it's such a perfect marriage in the fact that the one thing Raimi changed about Spider-Man is the fact that he has uh, organic web shooters, and the movie uses what exactly you guys are saying to make Peter's problems make him have performance issues. Yes, like Peter's <laughs> problems affect Spider-Man existing in a way that Spider, you know, just perfectly in this franchise too, specifically. You know what I mean? They used it right. properly. They knew what yes. they were doing. With that. Yeah, they had. It feels like they had a plan, right? In the future, right. if, if, take what, this away from him. That might be lightning in a bottle, but it also could be genius. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It just could be genius construction. So, and and I, I love that you did the structure method because I tried to do a save the cat kind of mindset to this, and I had a hard time doing it, which we can talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. It was it was hard to bring it about. And honestly, my mind went to, you know what? This would be easy to do sequence method, but it's hard mm-hmm. to break down. I think, and and the next bullet point, which I'll also cross out for us, this movie also has a ton of coincidence, which um, usually I hate, but I think this movie is emulating a comic book. And because the A story is his life you know it's the peter parker life i don't mind the coincidence like when doc ock shows up at the bank for example yeah because it just feels like an issue a goofy issue would that uh, also be part of uh, like tone too like the coincidences kind of fall into tone right like since rami spider-man is a bit more like silver age comic books it yeah. doesn't feel as wrong right yeah, it, you know, you know I mean? the source material was it's doing more forgiving that thing. on the viewer yeah I, yeah i I honestly think I forgive it because I was trying to reconcile why I forgive it because Spider-Man 3 has coincidences, which I hate. I They, they take me out of the movie. Oh, man. It's, which is strange. <laughs> That's another Sp- episode. <laughs> but Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2 has coincidences, which I just kind of shrug and I say, yeah, I could see a comic opening up with Peter and his aunt at the bank. And then all of a sudden it gets robbed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I think because that's what this movie's about. It's like everywhere he turns spider-man crap happens you know he can't live his life because every single thing spider-man crap keeps coming and coming and coming at him and standing in the way of his his desire for a mundane existence it is i mean it is also there's the positive coincidence of the fact he's writing a paper about 
Dr. Otto Octavius. And right. Just he so just happens so happens to be working yeah. with. Yeah. That's, I think that's the one, right? That's, that should that's be the one buy in. That's your catalyst. Your one, so yeah, yeah. Your yeah. one uh, coincidence that we forgive. No, but it, it, this movie, as far as the coincidences go, I agree with you. I call, I call, uh, I have this thing I see a lot in amateur screenplays, which I call the phony family tree, which mm-hmm. is like the story world is like implausibly, implausibly small. Everyone yeah, small. is tied to everyone. Well, like, jo- jo- you know, Jonah Jameson, Jameson's uh, son is the astronaut who just so happens to be dating Mary. Which Jane is from the and, comic, which is also right. the same type of. Right. Yeah. And that's the type of stories they were telling in like the 50s and the 60s. And so it was like it's like inherent to the genre. You know, Doc Um, picks a random person out of the crowd. It just so happens to be Aunt May. (laughs) I mean, he doesn't know. He doesn't know that's Aunt May in that moment. But there is. Keep going, Jamie. Yes. Well, uh, to your family tree point, I think that's a great because I've given that note in consultations myself. Because when you have like a more realistic story and that happens, it makes everything seem melodramatic and soap opera, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. But, this, but the tone of this thing is so melodramatic and soap opera. Uh, you know, Sam Raimi, with the exception of his kind of serious movies, he's always like totally winking and tongue in cheek. And the whole thing's like, <laughs> I love the dialogue. It's so weird. Like when he starts saying the poetry and she's like, what's that even mean? Or, you know, it's like, there's so many weird things like, especially mary mary jane's dialogue like she's she says the strangest things and i love it i'm so terrible oh boy boy or whatever i don't know there's just some weird stuff that he puts in i I, i've always had a hard time characterizing sam raimi's dialogue like like the tone yeah because it's kind of old-fashioned you know it's kind of like 1950s screwball comedy Mm -hmm. but then it isn't really it's it's like the weirdest thing yeah just it's kind of like the Ash dialogue or something. Anyway, right. not to get, not to get some iconic stuff in there. I, I just wanted to throw one more thing on the coincidence yeah. thing, because I agree with you, but there is, the, and, and we've talked about the Pixar rules, quote unquote, mm-hmm. they're not actually from Pixar. Right. Um, but there's that Pixar rule that coincidences that get you into trouble are okay. Are the audience the audience forgives it? Coincidences that get you out of trouble are not okay. And all the coincidences yep. in this movie are always getting Peter into trouble, yes. not getting him out that's of trouble. Good point. That's so, a good point. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why ultimately it, it works, and no one really has a problem with it. And we're just we're just nitpicking here, um, but it's definitely noticeable for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So so um, in regards to that structure thing, yeah. Uh, so I was trying to, and I think sequence approach is a great way to handle this one because I do think it's almost like, feels like eight issues of a comic book art mm-hmm. or something like that. We could look at it that way. But let's say you're trying to do a Save the Cat three-act structure of this. And so if most people's first attempt would be, okay, Doc Ock has this thing go wrong and he turns, you know, it blows up in his face. So that's the catalyst. That's the bad guy thing. And then, but that doesn't happen to like, 30 minutes into the movie mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, the end of that, the end of that scene is, uh, is 40 minutes, 40 minutes. Really? And then, okay. And yeah. Then yeah. The break into two would be somewhere where Peter Parker decides to stop him, but he never really does that in this. No, movie. he's not but really until the end until toward the end, you know, it's like, so, so that's obviously not the way to break this movie down. Uh, so the way I would do it, and I didn't do it. I'm just going to kind of throw it out there. Like, yeah, I, I did it more with Mary because here's the way I looked at it. I did Mary Jane 
the way I, I write movies, the first thing I tend to do is I do, how does it begin and how does it end? And how is the character different? And this one has a great bookend. It starts with her billboard. She's looking at him every day. And he says his problem. He says, you know, I, I look at her every day, but I have responsibilities. I, I can't remember the exact dialogue. I've chosen to be Spider-Man. I can't be with her. It ends with go get him tiger. Okay. So it, you see the change, you see the arc. That to me is the story. It's he starts with this thing, he ends with go get him tiger at the end. So it's kind of like a relationship story. So for me, when I started charting this, and again, save the cat doesn't work great as a retroactive tool always. Sometimes it works perfectly, but it's more to it's more to help you write. It's not to help you analyze as much, in my mm -hmm. opinion. This is my opinion. I agree. I, I, and I think you can use it to analyze, and you can use it to see where it doesn't work when you analyze. Um, so for me, the catalyst was something more like uh, Mary Jane says she's dating somebody. Like, to me, that was the catalyst. Interesting. And, right. Okay. 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 And then, and then he goes, and that happens around the 12-minute mark, by the way. It's the catalyst of the Peter Parker story. The it, right. it is. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Story. Okay. And then he kind of goes down this path of, um, of like, well, I'm, gonna, I'm coming to your show then. And then that's kind of yeah. the debate. Can he, can he be part of her life? Can, can he? he her? Yeah. Yeah. And that was the exciting can. moment. Yeah, and then right. he can't, and and then I think I think Bruce Campbell says says uh, when he's like turns him away and throws him out, he's sad and it, all that. I think in some ways that's the break into because I think then he's like on some kind of mission to you know win her back or something like that, um, and or, or balance his life is probably what. The yeah, yeah. It's it's to find some kind of to do both things at the same time, um, but anyway. It's it's messy. It's it's not super mm -hmm. easy. I'm not even saying that's what it is, but to me that feels more right than going down the typical, which is how we started this structure conversation, than to go down the Doc Ock. The typical Doc Ock turns into a villain. We need to stop him. We try to figure it out. We did, you know. So the fun and game stuff is more about, um, you know, Peter trying to balance both of his lives and less about. Uh, Peter trying to stop Dr. Octopus. That's, I love that's it. I love well, it. So yeah, I, wanted, I, love it. I, want, yeah. I wanted to ask you, so so like I, I wanted to talk about uh, wrong way goals. Okay. Because um, it's by, weird. By the way, super quick, because I know you said you had it in front of you. Uh, Blake Snyder did Spider-Man 2. He did. What was his catalyst? He did it in uh, which book? Say the book name. The uh, uh, yeah. Save, Save the, the cat, cat goes to the movies. Okay. Yeah, it's on page two seventy three for anyone listening uh, who has the book. Um, he has the catalyst at eighteen minutes. Toby is introduced to Doctor Octavius. So he goes down the Doc Ock path. Yeah, he's okay. he's folk. He's making the A story be the the villain hero versus villain. My, my gut says he'll, he'll say that the break into two is when Doc Ock basically has the explosion or something yes, like that. And yes, which is at you know that finishes at forty minutes. Now, what does he so. put the midpoint at? Uh, I think his midpoint I agree with is I am Spider-Man no more. Yeah, I agree. I, that, that, an that hour and yeah, an sense. hour and two minutes in, it's almost right down the middle in the actual runtime. Also, that works for both the thing Jamie's saying and both the thing Blake well, Snyder's saying. And, and here's something very instructive about that. Midpoints usually cross A and B story. They usually yeah, cross. Yeah. So and this is the crossing moment. This is when I am Spider-Man no more. So he's not gonna be Spider-Man, causes huge problems in Spider-Man world. 
but mm-hmm. it causes good things to happen supposedly hopefully in peter parker mm-hmm. world so i agree okay jamie i'm gonna cool. i'm gonna bounce off of what you were just talking about with the bookends right the okay. opening and closing mm-hmm. um and bob and jamie you can kind of chime in in here i'm trying to figure i don't have the answer okay. so i'm i'm gonna set it up and then we can talk it out um so uh, there's 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 this thing called the wrong way goal approach. We've talked about it in many episodes. Uh, basically, Groundhog Day is one long wrong way goal story. Um, uh, most time loop stories are. Um, this is I I can feel it. I can feel that this is a wrong way goal story. Right? He's constantly going the wrong way, and the story is putting us putting Peter into one situation after another for the first two half two sections of the story, the act one and act two, where he's doing the wrong thing. But I haven't figured out what that, what that wrong way is because like- I, I, I have a hard time too. It's messy, yeah. It, because what you're saying is, is, is right, which is the balance, right? That is, and uh, when we get into villain construction in a little while, I'm gonna use Sam Raimi's own words about Doc Ock and why, why they went this direction. Okay. And he talks about the lack of balance as well. But balance feels like a reward to me, not an objective. It feels mm-hmm. like if you do certain things, you can you can have a balanced. I mean, basically, this is like we said, like a workplace drama, like right, like he's 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 working too hard, and he can't have like a life, and and so like he's trying to find a balance of having a life and still doing his job. Yes. Which is fire. Right. Here's here's the other thing I'd say that's tricky about the balance to make that the wrong way goal. And it's honestly where my save the cat little inspiration thing that I just said falls apart. The balance is what he was trying to do in, in the setup. And he's doing it in the fun and games. So it's really the same. Isn't that is there really a shift between act one him and act two him as far as balance goes? No, not at all. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. So I wanted to, I wanted to pitch an idea to you that like I feel like I had no one in the in the filmmaking. Now I didn't list at there is an Alvin Sargent commentary and I didn't listen to that. So maybe he discusses this and and somebody listening is like, "Yeah, he talks about this all the time." To me it's pretty simple, but Sam Raimi isn't saying this, so I'm a little confused. He's a liar. Um Peter is a liar. Like to me it reminds me of a very famous uh wrong way goal story which is liar liar jim carrey wants to be a better father and he thinks the way to achieve that is to is to lie right. and he spends the whole movie learning that like no like i, I go ahead so, no i i agree honesty was like when i was trying to come up with this flaw which is related to this um honesty was the big thing because he finally admits to aunt may by the end right. he finally admits to um Mary Jane. At well, the she end. doesn't Jane. admit it. She sees it. Yeah, but it, he, it, yeah. He, well, but he, say, he allowed that to happen. He allowed it to happen. Yeah, and, yes. and he was he was about to admit it to her. I he, think, was going, yeah, he, he was going. He was going to. He was yeah. going to tell us. Um, yeah. So he realizes that you know. So if you were doing a moral premise, and this is the way. So honesty is what I came up with with the flaw. Yeah. I, also, he, kind of, he he does yeah. struggle with honesty the whole yeah. time too. Like he's yeah. actually like like having daydreams about. Uh, like telling her remember he's like verbally so, talking to himself and, and he has weird reasons yeah. for, for doing that like right. his reasons yeah. are to, for protection his reasons for aunt may are guilt he has different reasons that he thinks lying mm-hmm. will be the better way in life mm-hmm. but then when he admits 
maybe he can meld the two sides together when he finally admits to and gives up the other things. So you could argue that his flaw might be the false pretense that he's protecting somebody too or something. I don't know. <laughs> also, it kind of feels like we're jumping, we're jumping uh, near a uh, theme almost, right? Like we yeah. are talking about. Well, the, and, the, and, the, and the theme is a little confusing too, but Jamie, you, you have your classic test of uh, your before and after snapshot. Would the hero do the thing in the end that they do in the beginning when we meet them and and it, what what is that thing that they do and the thing that he does in the end that he wouldn't do in the beginning is he tells the truth yeah he's honest yeah and to me that's that's clear cut but i just haven't seen much discussed about that so i was a little confused why it wasn't focused on uh, but you guys agree then so so it's not yeah, as I it's not as controversial as a I thought it was going to be. I think uh, this is also something that maybe sets this movie apart a little bit for a lot of us um, because it's so heavy on this, on the aspect of honesty and lying, what you're saying right now. I don't get that a lot from like a lot of the superhero movies we're getting now. Right. You know, yeah. I think we've almost like <laughs> I am Iron Man kind of set up the MCU as, yeah, the lying is not really what we're about. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a lot of superheroes now, it's sort of like their their struggle. I mean, you know, Spider-Man's a little different because Tom Holland is dealing with the He is dealing with it. You're right, yeah. But for mo for the most part, like, Thor's not worried about, like, no they, people. They, they what erased, if someone finds out I'm Thor? They erased his human version. They literally, so, like, from the comics. So. And, and, so here's where I was struggling with the flaw and the need and stuff like that. So... If honesty is kind of his flaw, like if he doesn't, if he has a skewed approach to the world where he doesn't believe that he can be honest and effectively be either Spider-Man or Peter Parker at the same time, like that's something you can't do. Do, do you see, I, I can't find necessarily all the lessons that he learns along. Mm. I guess, I guess I keep seeing the negative lesson. I guess I do see like, all the negatives like i was almost looking for a mentor like and so, harry the well, villain you, you mentioned uh is yeah go for it go for uh, it well, i'm uh, sorry Doc i, I, mean, I mean i was gonna say uh, it's actually dr otto octavius that's sort of the mentor about honesty right mm -hmm. that amazing which i love this that amazing scene when they first meet at the table when they're eating uh, the tea time he literally says to peter you can't hold love truth in yourself like that it'll eat you alive yes he's the one that, his yeah. like hero the guy he Great. looks up to is telling him that and it happens to just so happens to be the villain you know before, that's that's yeah. perfect and i didn't even remember that yeah that, there's that also telling him that no, that's great that's yeah. there's also jamie there's when he tells aunt may the truth mm -hmm. she doesn't uh think less of him the next time he sees her she tells him it was a brave thing to be honest yes yes and then even that, that, then he learned mm -hmm. and then then he learns on the train he saves all those people and they see his identity and he's scared and the, that's like the big memorable moment in the movie and they give him back his mask and say don't worry we won't tell anyone yeah it's all, it's almost like learning to trust or learning to let go of all those things he's holding on to so, so there but are measurable like, beats of that but, but also like mixed with the truth shall set you free type of thing right like yes absolutely yeah yeah so but, on that yeah he Jamie, doesn't have to uh, hold on to those burdens he can and i'm trying to remember if there's a couple other spots now that we're talking about this that I'm, 
and I don't have an encyclopedia memory of this thing. But like when he talks to the doctor, I'd almost expect it to be hit there. Remember when the doctor said the doctor says, as far as I'm concerned, it's all in your head. Yeah, it's he fine. doesn't really have any great help for us. And then he, he basically says, maybe you're not supposed. He he argued. The doctor argues on the on the opposite, and he says, maybe you're not. Maybe your friend's not because he because to, to uh, Peter tells him, my friend has this dream that he's Spider Man, and like talks about all the trials and tribulations yeah. of that. And he Again, says, not being honest. Yeah. yeah, not lying, right? Lying. And yep. and and the doctor says, well, maybe you're maybe your friend's not meant to be Spider Man, and being so the so the doctor's sort of debating what Peter's thinking to himself, you know. And then, but isn't and that then, also uh, challenging what we know he has to eventually get over to? It's like kind of beating up the character a little bit more, but in a in a very yes, in a very nice way, in a very yes. pleasant way. But it's also it's making his obstacle even harder. It's dramatizing it even more. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then similarly, it kind of goes to the Ben flashback, which has a similar, mm-hmm. it doesn't really talk about honesty. It just kind of puts the weight on his shoulders again. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to be smart. And, and he refuses to take Uncle Ben's advice in Uncle Ben's hand in yeah. that moment. So there's definitely a lot of growing there, pains that you can track. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that he's lying to his best friend. Yeah. He killed mm-hmm. his best friend's father and he hasn't told mm-hmm. him pretty mm-hmm. much. That's another yeah. aspect, right? So lots of lies, lots of yeah. deception. Well, he didn't yeah. kill his best friend's father. His best friend you know, he, killed he, himself. Sorry, but, yeah. That's, yeah, but yeah. still, he knows what happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely think that's where the flaw, to me, that's where the flaws go, is toward that honesty, toward that truthfulness, okay. toward that hiding behind a mask kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Hiding my, yep. It's almost like he needs to share, he needs to share his life with somebody in order so, to yeah. He can't so just try, Spider-Man by himself. If I verbalize it a little bit, his problem is with honesty, which is a Peter Parker problem. In this movie, we really don't have him being Spider-Man is pretty A-OK. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, really, if you think about it, the way that he approaches his Spider-Man duties is actually good. Yes. Right. So it's not a problem for us, the audience. Like, he wants to save people. He's pretty good at it. He wants yeah. to fix those problems. It's not like he's a bad Spider-Man really at all. It's all Peter. No, it's causing it, but the Peter Parker problems cause him cause to lose Spider-Man. his Spider-Man right. abilities. So, I know. Yeah. It's just saying that the 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 his approach to being Spider-Man is not actually flawed. It's actually good. It's the way well, that it's, I, I think he's right. Looked, he has a right way approach when it comes to when he's I, on the job. Thank think, you, Jimmy. That's what I was yeah. looking for a white, right way approach. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I think the first movie is about learning with great power, but comes great yep. responsibility. Like he needs to use it. And this is the other thing that's a little bit of a trick. Like when you're trying to analyze theme, there's that whole thing Doc Ock says: intelligence is a gift, Peter. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to give it privilege. To the yeah, and that more makes it sounds like a reminder of the first movie. Like that's. And I think that's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so yeah. so it's it's a little confusing the theme as far as when you're uh, trying to do what we're doing, like Sherlock Holmes, the theme. You're like, wait a minute, what is that? <laughs> but okay, could you argue too um, that that's also Doc, that's also Doc Ock talking to Doc Ock, like because right. Doc Ock's goal is to help mankind even while he's evil, which is interesting, yeah. right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I, but but it's just one of those things that's typically like theme related. You're like, right, right. Oh, wow. That's it. Um, even and then there's other things like when he gives him poetry, I was like, the poetry is going to say something. I lean forward <laughs> and I listen. 
and it, it really doesn't it's just some crappy no, poetry i mean i, I think I, it's supposed I, to sound crappy i quoted yeah. some i quoted some of the moments that felt like go to the classroom okay i i cut them but i mean i i i put them put them aside to talk mm-hmm. about them but it's yep. weird because they're not really it, 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 it supports your statement, Jamie, that it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Um, it's, it's I'm a bit of a red herring. I think some of I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to trim Aunt May's, uh, really on the nose, uh, okay. uh, monologue and just, just, uh, cut to the last part of it where she says, I believe there's a hero in all of us that keeps us honest, keeps us honest. Okay. Honesty is in there gives us strength, makes us noble, and and allows us to die with pride, even though sometimes we have to be steady and give up the thing we want the most, that, even that's, our dream. That's the weird part, right? When she says we have to give up our dream. It's almost like she's taking him back to the wrong way. And not really. Yeah. She's saying, you know, get rid of Mary Jane. You got to get rid of the, the things you want. Yeah, You got to sacrifice things. And, to and, and to, to make it even weirder. Yeah. In the final moments, in the in the climax, how Peter convinces Doc to get on his side is he says, you spoke to me about intelligence. You said it was a gift to be used for the greater good. And Doc says, a privilege. And Peter says, these things have turned you into something else. Don't listen to them. And Doc said, but it was my dream. And Peter says, sometimes to do what's right, we have to be steady and give up the things we want most, even our dreams. And Doc says, you're right. So it's weird because... He does, Peter doesn't end up succeeding by doing that. Like, could, could it be that it's not exactly <laughs> no. what someone like the doctor and what Aunt May and even what Doc Ock is saying? I mean, when I say the doctor, the one who was he went to, the normal doctor, could it be that it's not exactly what they're saying so much as who it's coming from? Like, Maybe Aunt May is the Peter Parker part of his life, but she's basically telling him to give up his Peter Parkerness to become Spider Man more, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it, yeah. Ma- maybe it matters. It's it matters more because who it's coming from. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, it, I yeah. but I I I think what what's interesting is that it's a bit of a mess, right? But it works. Yeah, it totally works. Yeah, I, like you feel it. I don't. So, and ultimately, the reason I come down to honesty, but I think it's messy, is because. There's all this talk of giving up your dreams and, and dreams and stuff like that. Like we have to give up on our dreams. They don't really see him give up on any dreams. He's still yeah. Spider-Man. He's with Mary Jane. So whatever he learns in the end, whatever he changed, he's with Mary Jane. He's honest. He's out there. He's still Spider-Man. So he hasn't given up yeah. on his dreams, but he has been honest. So that's why I'm on. Yeah. That's why I'm surfing that as my his dream was yeah, to be a definitely. liar forever. Yeah. I definitely think honesty <laughs> is the growth. Yeah. Um, I, I think that dream stuff came from a weird Michael Chabon draft that they and forgot they just, to edit it down. It sounded cool, so they kept it in. Yeah, it was poetic. Yeah. I, so, could see, so- I could see it as the debate of whether he should be honest or whether he shouldn't or whether he should give up his dreams and focus on one thing. But that is not the way it's presented in the back end of the screenplay. When, yeah. When at key moments that is said, the giving up on your dreams is spoken. Maybe, um, but maybe that uh, like that's what keeps us interested in it a little bit. Like the movie's kind of arguing with itself at points. I don't necessarily hate that. Like not everything has to be a streamlined, obvious I, through line, yeah. right? Oh, it's like, very not Disney. Yeah, like, no, this I'm is saying, not the how movie, we would see in a in a Disney movie. P- Peter's yeah. essentially going to a bunch of different people, and they're giving him a bunch of different information, and we're with him to him to figure all out the sides truth. of it. I, right. All I the find, characters are trying right. to argue all sides of it, which is. 
good. They're trying yeah. to be agents of change. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find um, a lot of my favorite movies actually have themes that sort of function like that. Like, like the writer wasn't really sure what the theme was and was writing a story and the theme emerged and the theme is there for the viewer. But like, if you, if you go back and watch I, I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm not saying this is ET or something. I'm not sure that the writer sat down and said, my theme is blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's, it's got like, you know, it never says the theme really in a big on the nose way. Uh, and, and E.T. isn't necessarily the best example, but Poltergeist might be or something. Some one of my favorite mm-hmm. Spielberg movies. I, I think the 70s and 80s writers did less like on the nose themes and more just mm-hmm. kind of wrote this thing with a feeling and an arc and a change and then left it to the viewer to decide. Yeah, what. you can feel it, but it's not easy to 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 pull it right out with words that are said by characters. Yeah. I, and I think more modern cheeseburger movies are very conscious of every word they put on the Absolutely. <laughs> and, they're, and they're very strict about every word. And they edit things down in the ADR They have things a classroom scene where it's on the chalkboard. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was yeah. looking for the classroom scene and, the, and, and, and I found a few. And you talked, Bob, you mentioned one. And that was when he meets Doc Ock. And the tea, then, yeah, you know, the time. when he tells Aunt May the truth and the next time he sees her, she's like, that's okay that you told me the truth. I'm proud of you for being honest. Like that's that's another classroom there's, scene, you know. There's there's even more stuff like to throw you off if you're trying to analyze it. Like like Mary Jane just saying you're an empty seat and stuff like that. It's like <laughs> I mean an empty seat, and then he comes back later and says I'm not an empty seat anymore. Um, and and there's all kinds of like philosophical like, dialogue going heard, on. Like uh, they, also people insulting Peter too. Also, it juxtaposed to what the audience is seeing with him saving people is also really great and gives more context to Peter's life. You know what I mean? Like, we're seeing him do all these incredible things, and the people in his life are, like, literally shitting on him. Yeah. He's losing. <laughs> he, like, they tell him. You, like, Don't let me down. You're fired. You're lazy. You're an empty well, seat. You're nothing, I, man. I, like, think, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a good transition to um, – the rooting, the rooting resume, I, his rooting. Jamie, resume. That, that was yes. my, that was my intention, but you just called <laughs> it out, so now it seems like I. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, because honestly, this this our, 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 our this show is about good. transitions. Yeah. Over here, I was clapping, and then Jamie was just like, "Oh, we should transition." The one good transition. I'm sorry, Jamie. Go ahead. Because <laughs> yeah. um, I, no, honestly though, it, it, this movie does have like. 20 minutes of rooting resume it totally does yeah. up front it does it's, it's crazy jamie so, you want to talk about the, the what sure. the rooting resume is from so, your book yeah so you know in in my book i call it the on rooting resume now. and on sale now uh amazon <laughs> uh it's it's basically just selling your character as why they should be likable now save the cat is that's where it gets its title from right why should we care about this character because this character, even though they're a jerk, they save the cat. But save the cat is only the tip of the iceberg, as you find in most movies. Uh, one of my favorite examples, if you go back to the Joker episode, because that character is so despicable in some ways, but it spends so long showing you why they're not despicable or why they are worth rooting for or why we should pay attention to this character. Now, Peter Parker, we already have a likability factor. And the first 20 minutes of this movie just shows us why we should care. And I think one of the biggest ways, and Jimmy tracks some of these, 
It's yeah. just showing how the world is constantly crapping on him, hitting him, <laughs> hitting him on the head with bags, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and how big of an underdog he is, or you know, and how the world just as good as his heart is, the world is just kind of against him. Yeah, you could, you have in your book. It's going to be weird to quote you back to you, but we'll do <laughs> yeah, it because I don't, especially because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so. Jamie Nash, uh, (laughs) the writer of Saves the Cat, does writes for TV. Um, You 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 break it down into six categories: uh, the rooting resume, and you have thirty four different rooting techniques. And I'm not going to do them all, but I found twenty two different in the first eighteen minutes. So I mean, so so the first section you have is their underdogs. And uh, some of the ones that you list in as as potential rooting techniques that we see is the world treats them unjustly, just like you're saying. <laughs> the world shits on them unjustly. Um, they're Rodney Dangerfields. They get no respect. <laughs> um, that's a big one. Uh, they're economically challenged. They lack money or material things and live difficult or maybe even miserable existences. Rent. Rent. <laughs> rent rent um uh category two you have they care about someone or something and i i found you have th- four listed here and i found three um they care about a significant other a grandma a friend family members um they care about their neighborhood um or the place that a place that's nostalgic to them so he cares about new york man um they they live for a cause and he is you know he's he's trying to help those who are uh you know harmed by harmed by others um the third category you have is they try very hard to make their lives better and uh this this one tracks both their dreamers and their failures and you know we see both of that he's a dreamer and he's a failure um, the fourth section you have is they're fun. Um, uh, yeah, he's funny, right? He's funny with the kids whenever he's like, you know, fighting crime and interacting with the kids. He's saying funny things to them. I mean, even uh, down to him trying to put the brooms away in the broom closet. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, like I, that's, that's a Rudy influencer right there, right? Like, absolutely. Yeah. And they spend, I mean, 30 seconds on that and it just makes you like the them ele- even more. The elevator scene with the House elevator Marks. scene. Yeah. Right. And, right. and that's a good thing to point out because. These don't these rooting techniques, they don't need to be just in in the setup. If if you watch any movie you enjoy, you'll find that what we're seeing from fade in to fade out is a never ending barrage of these played in different ways. We're constantly seeing these rooting techniques from scene to scene. That that's one of the reasons we're, we stay engaged in the character, because they're showing us through their choices these various things. Um, uh, number five, Jamie, you said is we know their struggle. They have a secret pain and they have a painful past. He's got both of them. Um, uh, we wish we were more like them. Uh, he's self-sacrificing. He's resourceful. He's loyal. He never gives up. And they live by an honorable code. And Peter definitely does. Yeah. Um, they're just like us is your seventh section, Jamie. They share common mundane problems. They live mundane lives. 
uh, they give us a, a vulnerable peek behind the curtain. I mean, we're constantly seeing these peaks behind the curtain that no one else gets. The superior position we're given into his situation really makes us feel connected to him because we know what no one else in the story knows about him. Um, and then the last section you have is they're the best at something. Well, I mean, who's better at what Spider-Man does than Spider-Man, right? right like, right. so yeah, it's a 20, you have 34 rooting techniques listed in your book, Jamie, and they use 22 of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the Only way that 22, mm. I, <laughs> it's, I think you've made a good point. Like some of these are super quick. They're just, we almost feel them more than we notice them. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're just jokes. And I think. I think what's instructive for writers, like if you're, I, I think it's worthwhile to just go through your first 10 pages and do a quick pass, like, like maybe read the chapter of that book or something like that, or just keep these things in mind, underdog, um, mundane problems, common problems, things like that. If you just really focus on being an underdog, that's, that might be enough. And then fun <laughs> and funny. And if you just do a pass, you just start on page one with all these things or having just read the chapter or just focusing this in the front of your mind, just do a little pass of your first 10 pages, your first 15 pages with these things in mind. I think you can kind of punch up that likability factor mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. And it's, it, and it really is less about that. That's a, a, a way to phrase it is they don't need to be likable. We just need to understand why we should root for them. Because um, you can give really, we've seen in many stories, like we've talked, we talked about Cobra Kai, you can give total assholes all of these things in a way that's specific to them being a bad person and still have the same effect. Like we love Johnny and Cobra Kai, but he's, he's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Like, but Johnny and Cobra Kai has all has this massive rooting resume that's almost exactly the same as Peter Parker, but he's an asshole. And so it doesn't have it's not necessarily like nice just because a person is an asshole doesn't mean we can't root for them. So it's it's interesting to, to see how these work with people who aren't necessarily nice. Okay, I think that I'm going to actually just say, I think that's a good transition into talking about villain construction, right? Yeah. Because, because the one thing this movie really does well is give you, give you that like couple of scenes that are true rooting influencers for Doc Ock. Like, you know what I mean? Like he yeah, has that rooting scene, influencers. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's that smart. That scene you described he, before. Yeah, he's smart. He's intelligent. He's nice to Peter. Uh, he loves his wife and he has, you know, a, a very, he has a very, powerful marriage even in the little time we're given doc ock has a little bit of a rooting resume right, right. like yes, when you yeah. meet him yeah, yeah yeah he is and not a monster when we meet him at whatsoever he is a nice smart intelligent man <laughs> who actually says like he owes his intelligence to humanity you know like he it, he they, humanity deserves his intelligence and to help them it's like like he's a superhero too and a, a lot of times you you hear it said that villains are the hero without any moral compass or mm -hmm. there's something there's some trigger that's not you know that's allowing them to go all the way so if it's almost like he's he's this mirror image of what peter could be mm -hmm. maybe it's maybe it's sparking why peter does need a mary jane in his life why he mm -hmm. does need aunt may in mm -hmm. his life why he can't just give up those and become full-time spider-man and go on the crusade to be spider-man with that too don't you find i know this is an execution thing more but i i there's always those two shots where you know his wife is getting the glass thrown at her when she before she dies 
I always feel like at the end there's a moment with Mary Jane with almost the exact same shot where he yep. realizes she might die. So like what you were I saying, I bet you Jamie, if you put them up next to each other, would, there was some intentional parallel, some, yeah. visual parallel. Yeah, and that's probably on the page too. What I'm saying is what mm-hmm. Jamie just said, like the fact that we're supposed to compare those two relationships. Yeah, it's it, right there. The right? power yeah. of contrast. Yeah. 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 They, we we've talked about this in many episodes. Like, what does Belloc say to Indy in Raiders of the Lark, Lost Ark, Jamie? What's that you and I what, what does he say? You and I You and I are the same, really, or something like that. Yeah, it's, yeah. Those lines. You yep. want to see what's in this just as much as I do. I do. Yeah, yeah. yes. That's per yeah. And like when you're when you're coming up with villains, a great way to kind of uh idea generate is to what does the circus mirror version of, of your character look like? You know, if it, in, in Empire Strikes Back, if Luke makes all the wrong choices, he is Darth Vader. Um, we even talked, it works in different genres. Like Annie is a circus mirror in Bridesmaids. Annie is a circus mirror to Helen. They're like two sides of the same coin. Um, I thought spiders you were going... have eight legs. Oc- <laughs> Octavius has eight legs. I mean, it's so fucking. Yeah, there's a yin and right. yang to both of them. Yeah. When, when, when you said Annie, I thought you were going Miss Hannigan. Miss Hannigan. No, but uh, uh, I wanted to use a couple quotes um, that I thought are perfectly kind of support what we're saying here. Um, I don't know how to how to pronounce. Is it Avi Arad? Um, I think the it's, previous. I always say Avi Arid, but that Avi Arid. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. I could be it, wrong. Um, so anyway, he says, um, and this is you know this is credit to Stanley and Steve Get- Ditko, but still, it's it's worth it's instructive. Uh, Doc Ock is a formidable villain. He can climb walls better and faster than Spider Man. There's literally nothing Spider Man can do that Doc Ock can't counteract. So, I mean, that's perfect hero villain construction. And then this is what I wanted to talk to you about, guys about um, what Sam Raimi said, says about Doc Ock. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes back to kind of our discussion about it being a little confusing um, as to what the, what, the, what the arc is, what the problem is for Peter. Um, Sam Raimi says, this movie is the story of Peter's life, which is out of balance. And Dr. A- Dr. Octavius represents for Peter someone who has achieved that balance. Peter sees Octavius as somebody who has mastered both his gifts, in this case science, through which he can serve the good of mankind while also maintaining a loving relationship with his wife. Um, But then, so it's weird, we kind of meet Octavius as the character that, it's weird to meet the villain as the character that Peter wants to be, that is teaching Peter the lesson. I, was I thought say, it was unconventional in that way. The way that it doesn't break that that trust that you're saying how we meet them too is like the actual mumbo jumbo of of how he turns into Doc Ock, which they actually you know they actually put effort into is is that he doesn't really become evil. No, he is being manipulated He's by being his arms. Right, it's like body so, snatchers. Yeah, right. So the audience, the you know the reader, the viewer is not exactly not on doc ock's side the whole time like we know that he's being that's mindful. true there's yeah like got to get him out of control off from those tentacles right yeah. he, he is not he's not the same as uh you know some other villains like he we know that those things are literally whispering in his ear and thus that, that ends his arc too right like he finally tells them to shut he, up he tells them to shut up yeah. yeah no peter's right yeah we have yeah. to put this in the ocean yeah yeah um or in the river 
but uh, no, I thought it was interesting that Sam Raimi's also going back to that balance problem rather than the honesty problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, because Doc Ock, there's not really much about Doc Ock that shows Peter like you could just be honest. You know, like Doc Ock doesn't need to doesn't need to when he meets Doctor Octavius. Octavius doesn't have to pretend he's not a scientist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Like, you're right. <laughs> So anyway, but isn't that a good reflection of him though? That's like, yeah, that's no, you're right. Yeah, reflection. that's true. Yeah. He, yeah he's that's a guy a good who, point. look what happens when you don't have to hide. Yeah. Your superpower. Yeah. Good it's point. The, yeah. It's good. You know, yeah. that's what he's then that, that gives Peter the goal to try achieve that. Right. Yeah. That's, right? that's, a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little messy, a little messy, a little messy. I'm, I'm kind of struck by how many things are messy, but yet all three of us said it might be our favorite superhero movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think some of it too is execution, which we're not mm-hmm. discussing. We're not discussing direction, You're aesthetics, not, yeah. effects, performance, stuff. music. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it yeah. could You're be right. akin to that. But yeah, yeah, on the page, it might. On the page, bit. it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're down to good news, bad news. Yeah, I wanted to. If, yeah. if if you guys want me to do it, I'll do it. I did one. Do it. Yeah. No. Um, go for it. Okay. So. Jamie, I feel like you do a good job describing good news, bad te- news. I think our best it? episode for this was uh, Solo, right? Yeah, Solo. We found it. We did a couple more. And, we did Die Hard. Indy, we course. did an Indie Raiders. Yeah. The the plane, the 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 one wing uh, plane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I I mean, good news, bad news is a thing I see. A lot of new writers who write action, they come in with an outline, and they write this linear action sequence not not scene but sequence where it's just everything happens like john wick shoots 10 people he drives a car real fast you know everything goes good but the key to really good action writing especially and and really it's all writing but action writing especially is to have this roller coaster of ups and up and down emotions so something good happens and that good then there's a twist and it's like uh uh-oh and then something bad happens, and then there's a twist. Something good happens. So it's constant good news, bad news. So if you know if Spider-Man uh, saves saves a person and gets them on the ground, then a speeding truck is about to hit them, or something yeah. like that. Or this you know, is, that that's pretty, one of the beats I'm going to tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it's it's a constant shift. You don't you don't want to just keep going. Good news, good news, good news. Like everything goes right. Nor do you want to just go bad news, bad news, bad news to the depths. You want this constant up and down roller coaster of good things happening, bad things happening, successes, failures, successes, failures. Or even an up and down train track. <laughs> an up and down train track. And, yeah. the, and the more surprising those twists are, the more ironic those twists are, the more fun it'll be for the viewer and the reader. And I think this, I think you can use this technique for any genre. I I think even I've, I, I use this even just for a, simple conversation that's that's conflict laden um to so that because often i i just i read a lot of scripts where it's there's a there's a situation on screen a scenario on screen that's just like two people talking and it's either all going positive like better and better and better or it's all going downhill but if you can create a scene where 
even just a simple conversation goes good, then bad, good, then bad. Something positive happens, something negative happens. It makes it more interesting. It makes it unpredictable. It reverses expectation. It just makes the whole ride more fun. Um, and so there's a lot of, I had to figure out which one was the easiest to do because there's a lot of good news, bad news in this movie. Um, and the one, the one I ultimately chose was my favorite sequence in the movie, which is the train. Um, but I only did because there's so much, I only did the second half of the train. And even you're going to hear like, even the second half of the train, it's insane how much this is used and how effectively it's used. All right. So here we go. This is, I'll, I'll try when to use my mic. second half, you mean when the brakes are shot, when he pulls I the mean, brakes right, okay. right before that, but, after but, he's thrown off. Okay. And, and by the way, just to say the level, the reason the train is so instructive is one of the other things that that train sequence was apparently storyboarded and scripted for the first movie, but then it moved over. So it was almost like they brought that over in isolation. It's kind of like what happened with Raiders of the Lost We've Ark. talked it, about that so much. Yeah, literally. It was on the whiteboard. Yeah. They saved yeah. it for the next one. That's amazing. And, I didn't and, know that. Yeah. And the whole thing came over. So it was very detailed. And, you know, Raimi was involved with the gags and storyboard artists and everything else. So yeah. that's why it's so rich. And Giving yeah. Spider-Man something he cannot handle. Right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Okay. So here we go. And, and I... I, I tried to make this as short as possible. So I started where I felt like I could do it as short as possible. All right, here we go. So bad news is Doc Ock throws Peter off the train. Good news is Peter web slings through traffic in downtown buildings and catches back up with the train. Bad news is Doc, Doc Ock grabs two passengers and throws them off the train. Good news is Peter catches them and drops them to safety. Bad news is Doc Ock out... Uh, puts the train on full speed and destroys the controls. Good news is Peter climbs to the front of the train and tries to use his legs to stop the train. Bad news is the train's moving too fast and Peter's not strong enough to stop it with his legs. Good news is Peter shoots webs on the buildings and uses them to slow the train down. The bad news is those webs break and Peter almost falls off the tracks. Uh, good news is Peter shoots even more webs on the building and successfully stops the train, savings the, saving the passengers. Bad news is Peter passes out from the effort. Good news is the train passengers catch Peter before he falls and carry him inside to safety. Bad news is all the passengers can see Peter's face. Good news is the passengers give him back the mask and promise not to tell anyone who he is. Bad news is Doc Ock returns and attacks. Good news is the train passengers protect Peter. You want to get through him, you got to go through me. Bad news is Doc Ock throws them aside and knocks Peter unconscious and captures him. So you can see, like, I mean, how many is that? That's like 30 good news, bad news. And you didn't and, even really say the, the Peter discovering the fact that the track ends, right? Like you didn't, I don't even think right, you said I, that one. Yeah, it's like I, a, yeah. I mean, there's, like there's extra even bad little news beats. in there. Yeah, yeah, there's little beats in between that. So, I mean, it's just, a, it's a very effective way. And all that happens in like two minutes. Mm -hmm. so if you're if you've got if if you know how your scene's gonna start and you know how your scene's gonna end you can literally just put on a blank page good news bad news good news bad news and try to figure out how to construct a sequence that follows that in a way that feels organic and it'll make your action sequence a lot more interesting and this is just a perfect example watch that train sequence I mean, there's a reason it's kind of like the starring moment, I think. I mean, I've actually seen the train sequence, like, trend on Twitter, like, twice. <laughs> like, just the train sequence, you know? It's so good. Yeah, it's so yeah. good. 
But the other, I mean, the other fights in this movie have it too. That's just the one. They do. Yeah, yeah. yeah the mm-hmm. the especially the the ant. I almost did the ant May getting kidnapped and being pulled onto the building. That's there's the there's a ton of good news, bad news where she hooks her umbrella on or her cane onto the statue. So that's a good news. There's so much good news, bad news in that in that sequence too. That, that sequence also really plays into the uh, thing Jamie was talking about with tone and <laughs> stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Aunt May holding herself up off of just one umbrella is kind of an amazing uh, feat for an old lady. Uh, I think we've covered from my from what I'm looking. I think we've what covered, we were going to talk about everything. Yeah, yeah, I think we covered everything, guys. Unless you yeah. guys have something left to say about Spider Man Two mm-hmm. Two Thousand Four. There Spider-Man was a lot Two, of craft. There was a lot of. <laughs> there was a lot of craft that I didn't put down just because I didn't want to be talking for like a half an hour while you guys just sit there and listen to me. There's a lot of book reports. <laughs> the, the whiteboarding is like incredible in this movie. I mean, like we could do a whole episode just on the premise delivery of this movie. Like, what does it look like when Spider-Man has to deliver pizzas? Uh, what does it look like when, when, when Doc Octopus uh, 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 does a bank heist? Like, you know, they say, how, how, do, how does they, Spider-Man stop a train? How does Spider-Man like you, I know, stop a That's strain. different than, yeah. the, than the bad news, good news. It's like, how can that's he do That's premise it? delivery. That's right. that's that's something we can only see in this movie. Yeah. Right. So, right. I mean, there's just there's a lot of craft that we didn't even touch on. Yeah. It's that good. It's that good. A little bit messy, but really tastes. <laughs> it's like, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't look that good on the plate, but it tastes fucking great. It tastes yeah. so good. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, Jamie, I feel like you already said what you learned, but do we want to say anything else we learned from doing this episode from the rewatch? Man, I, I kind of want to say exactly what Jamie said is that. Yeah, same. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this movie takes such a personal approach. Like it's so focused on Peter's life and, and, and less on the Spider-Man. Like it's not. Uh, Green Goblin versus Spider-Man focused the way that you would think it was like coming out of it, like revisiting it. So, and it works. Yeah. I, I like when you said that, Jamie, it was like, Oh, Spider-Man's not broken. Spider-Man isn't broken in this. It's Peter. And Peter. therefore Spider-Man, Spider-Man doesn't work. Broken. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's the, the strange thing too is, I also like that it's all an erectile dysfunction metaphor, too. Yeah. It's it's not like it's some weird indie film or something, either. It's definitely a big comic book movie that hits you with all the the action. Like, you don't notice that much it's character-driven. Like, I I think even when Blake Snyder did his... uh, See the cat maybe he didn't even notice. You know, he's like, oh, he was he did it Ox focused story. on the Doc Ox. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, I don't think you really do notice. I mean, it took me to this time when I was really having to break it down for this podcast to really think of it in those terms. Mm-hmm. I never really thought of it that way before. It's so. weird too, because like with stuff like, you know, when he's listening when he's like all happy and skipping to raindrops falling in the <laughs> you know, it's like that is so obviously it's Peter's movie. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it like that is not a Spider-Man moment. So yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we've we've already done plugs, so I think that's everything, guys. Yeah, this is is this the end of the year one? This, uh, I believe, we're not going to do another one this year. The next episode will be January, won't it? 
Yes, because this comes out on a Monday, the 27th of December. So this is the end of the year. We're recording this for anyone listening on Christmas Eve. (laughs) It's been one hell of a month. Um, Yeah, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, it's just been a very heavy month. So, yeah, this is the the end of 2021. We've had an interesting year for our our show. So all virtual this year, all virtual. We we I think we did a good job. Yeah, we did uh, our best. And I th- we've actually had some fan uh, interaction. And so thank you for anyone who reached out to us, made a bingo card. Yeah, somebody uh, made a bingo tweeted card. about us. Anything you, <laughs> anything any of you did, we really appreciate anyone yeah, listening thank you. and supporting. Four years we've been Four doing years. this. That's crazy. Four years. We spent three years talking about Save the Cat. Jamie then wrote a Save the Cat book. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're talking about Jamie Save the Cat book. <laughs> We've been through it. We've been through it. I I was surprised. I can't remember why, but I was going back and looking. But we've done a lot of virtual episodes. You know, it still yeah. seems new. Like we just started doing virtual episodes. No, no, we've been. But I was like, oh yeah, we did. We did a lot. I can't remember. I was. It's sometimes I go back through this podcast for my own projects, and I, oh, I, think, I, I think I was, I think I was looking up planes, trains, and automobiles, and I was scrolling through and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. So I was like, yeah, we have a lot of episodes up. So yes, yeah, yeah. this was this one's number seventy, right? Seventy plus hours 70. of us talking about screenwriting. <laughs> this is a good mm-hmm. movie to do for seventy too. I feel like yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and uh, I'm hoping, guys, one day. We will be in the same room again. Oh my gosh! It's yeah. almost been two years since we've been in the same. I mean, room. I don't think anytime soon, but it, I'm hoping <laughs> it'll happen again. You know, I hope so too. Yeah, yeah, but we. I think we've done good with what we've had. <laughs> done done yeah. our best. Yeah, we have. And, I'm really uh, surprised my cat hasn't interrupted more episodes and just <laughs> stepped on the on the in front of the computer. <laughs> it's true. And you know what? If it wasn't for all this, we wouldn't have got to see Jamie's poster collection. That's so. right. <laughs> That's the right the listeners don't know what the hell they, we're talking about. They have no about. clue what we're talking about. After, after two years, I'm ready to swap it out. Yes. You've, done, you've done some stuff where people can see your your Zoom yeah. Uh, background. Yeah. I yeah, if they if they I sign mean, up for that course, will they get to see your posters, Jamie? That's well, that's how I was thinking about swapping it out for just to mix it up. Like I have a Hellraiser poster that's signed and an Evil Dead one, and I have a couple other ones. And I was oh, like, Hell yeah. You gotta do or, Evil Dead now after we or, just did this episode. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Evil Dead one's signed by the whole cast. I don't have Raimi's signature, but it's signed by the whole cast. That's nah, garbage um, then. I remember <laughs> I had a meeting I had a meeting with I had a meeting with Raimi's company once, Ghost House Pictures. And uh, I kept like kind of hinting, like, I, well, I have this poster. And I, I kept waiting for the guy to take the bait. Well, I can get that signed for you. Just send it over. But he never, <laughs> I, kept, I, I was making like a big deal. Like, I, yeah, one day I really want to get Sam's. And he's like, oh, Sam loves to sign things and stuff. Like, yeah, well, I, you know, I'd love to get it. That would be the best. But anyway, it didn't work out. Well, if anyone um, out there knows Sam Raimi and listens to the show, let's get, Jamie get Jamie's out. poster signed and we got to sell that. Uh, the first edition of Ninja Turtles comic. Yeah, Jamie's trying to unload. So issue number two. Issue number yeah. two. I'm gonna break this out in the new year and sell some comic books. So be ready. <laughs> That's what this is about. Jamie's eBay sales. Yes. <laughs> really get. get I have a whole. I have a whole Amazing Spider-Man arc to sell. By the way, if you're interested. <laughs> About a hundred, probably eighties era. Amazon uh, Amazing Spider-Man. All this was building to just the uh, to that. look for so, the link. Yes. <laughs> oh, I also have the Secret Wars 
uh, black costume uh, comic. I'm trying to sell that. Oh one man. Too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, with that, I'm gonna say we'll see you next time. I believe that'll be uh, we'll, we're gonna do Matrix. Yeah, the uh, Matrix resurrections. resurrections. Yes. Yeah. And uh, till then. Yeah. Bye, guys. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye. Happy New Year. You have just listened to Writer's Blockbusters, a screenwriting podcast featuring two professionals and another guy. Available only on Thundergrunt.